What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode, late edition of The Armchair Producers. I'm one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the talent, the special one in all of us, begging to come out. Mr. Travis Croft, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm fine and dandy. I'm glad. If there's anything like me inside everyone, we're in real trouble. Uh, <laughs> as a society, you know, I, we probably should I, be going I, I down. Think it would only get better than what it currently is if, if, that, if that was the case. You'd think so, wouldn't you? You'd really, really think so. But hey, <laughs> here, here we are. Um, but what can you do? It's a, it's a sp- spring here in Melbourne, not that you fucking know it. Uh, I imagine it's still pretty frosty up there at uh, Electric Fry Brain Studios. It is, yes, it is still still frosty. And this morning, I was out walking the dog as I always do, and uh, just randomly walked around the corner, and there was a six foot two kangaroo just looking at me like it was going to steal my wallet. <laughs> Did it? it was fun. Archimedes just kind of looked up at it as like, uh, I don't know what to do here, Dad, and. Uh, <laughs> Hey, that's not the wallet inspector. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. You, you want to be careful about foreign viewers and listeners. You may not need to know, but you need to be careful of um, the old gurus because they can be a bit nasty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they've got fucking claws, <laughs> very powerful legs, and attitudes to boot. But never mind. Nothing bad happened. It was fine. You know, I gave him my money and moved along. So you probably apologize also to viewers or anybody who comes back and watches the show later on. I am coming from a different location in the house this week. Uh, Keen-eyed viewers might say it looks a lot like the one from a few weeks ago. I have been exiled from the uh, main recording studio this week and had to find my way uh, elsewhere. So um, also I'm... The room genius takes over the room exactly so i don't have a the lighting's a bit crappy but hopefully we'll struggle on um if my laptop battery hangs in there long enough but um we're gonna we're gonna try and steam through it because we are coming to you a little bit late thanks to the chaos that is going to be friday the night for me at work so many releases all happening at the same time what is the big one what is it i have not heard about any new games coming out what is the new the big one nba 2k23 People still buy those games. Yeah, yeah. People go crazy for them, and like the um, the the championship edition has got like a year's subscription to the NBA website, so you can watch all the games. And it's stupid the amount of stuff. But not only that, we've got Splatoon three coming out on Nintendo Switch. We've got the new collection of Pokemon Lost Origins coming out. We have got the biggest game of the year, Deer Simulator. Deer Simulator? Okie dokies. Not, not, not Deer Simulator. It is Deer Simulator with like five E's. Is this like a Goat Simulator ripoff? Yep. Great. Because Goat Simulator got old after about five minutes. So, And yet yeah. there is Goat Simulator 3 coming. I know, but there was no Goat Simulator 2, which is actually a funny joke. That is true. But I'm not, speaking of games, I am quite curious to have a look at Dead Island 2 when that comes out. Because mm. I remember playing the original about 15 bloody years ago, whenever it came out, yeah. and going, that's a bit of a shit game. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's been, what, 10 years or something since the sequel was promised? So um, fascinating to see. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting next week as well, because we've got the Tokyo Game Show happening on the 
deep to the 18th, I think, and there's going to be Sony in particular. They're going to be doing a lot of announcements, um, particularly their, their PlayStation 5 VR set. It's potentially going to be getting an official release date as well as price. And I will be surprised if it is... I will be very surprised if it is less than $700. It's going to be expensive. That is the... Uh, well, it's... Well, yeah, this is Sony we're talking about here, right? So Yeah, they've just uh, increased the price of the PS5 because fuck consumers, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, like, I guess it's not a bad strategy when no one can get your stuff. Well, I mean, you know, you'd, you'd kind of think perhaps that you'd go, all right, you know what? Um... Yeah, people can't get it. Let's at least make it the keep it the same price, or maybe drop the price. Nah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, Sarah. It, oh, dear Simeon, it is four E's. My apologies. My apologies to dear simulator. <sighs> but um, people don't tune in for our thoughts on video games. There are lots of good podcasts out there that deal with that. Um, that said, there's lots of good podcasts that deal with most things that we talk about, but here we are. We do uh, the mediocrity. And here you are still listening to us after all these years. Um, <laughs> so, you know, who's the bigger fool? Um, but we should probably crack on and we're going to try and go a bit ni Nitro Express tonight um, because of a late vote. I'm, I, I will apologise, there is no it's Trek respective for the second week in a row. It is coming back, I promise. I did promise a double edition last week, but uh, due to circumstances maybe beyond my control. Week off and you can just do an episode of Armchair Producers, Travis takes over. <laughs> the, the Trek respective episode. Uh, but we'll be back next week with at least one film review, hopefully two. Um, uh, Michelle promises me she will watch Nemesis this weekend, so... Um, it'd be an insurrection nemesis doubleheader, but it also doesn't contribute uh, to a fast show. But we may still find a quick and dirty uh, space for a, um, a commercial break in here because mm -hmm. if, if we can, if, because like I suspect, we'll see. We, we, people will need it for the intensity of this show. Mm -hmm. So should we crack on with the, the chain movie this week? Yes, chain movie of the week. I was in charge, and I finally, finally got us. To a movie that I've been wanting to watch, that I have a reason to go back and watch for a long time, the 1985 cult classic Clue, based on the board game, the Parker Brothers board game at the point in time that this was, um, starring a collection of, uh, particularly at the time, very famous um, actors, and still some of them very much legendary status. We've got Tim Curry. We've got Christopher Lloyd, who was our connective tissue from last week's Suburban Commando. Uh, we've got Madeline Kahn. We've got Eileen Brennan. We've got the great Michael McKean, Martin Mull, uh, Leslie Ann Warren, uh, Colleen Camp, Lee Ving, and then it goes into more of just the random uh, additional people at that point. But for those who do not know, six guests are anonymously invited to a strange mansion for dinner, but after their host is killed, they must cooperate with the staff to identify the murder as the bodies pile up. Now, this is clearly very similar to a previous chain movie that we watched of Murder by 
death. This one, I think, overall has less problems. On yes, I think, I think it's less problematic. Um, yes. Then um, that's about to be challenging to be more problematic, I think, um, than, than all this stuff we detailed the other previous two weeks ago when we are talking about murder by death. Um, I have never seen this before. I might have seen the ending or part of it once upon a time. So I was actually taken by how similar it was mm-hmm. to Murder by Death. Like it felt very, very similar in the sense they're both piss takes on the genre of the, you know, murder in the big scary mansion at night yeah. while a group of people try to figure out who it is. Yeah. Um, this one, I think, overall succeeds more than Murder by Death. Partly because it's, it doesn't just play with very boring tropes and keep the same joke going, like we talked about with Murder by Death. Uh, oh, yeah, we're going to do that again and again and again and again and again and again and again until you want to kill yourself. Um, this one actually has slightly more interesting characters that are not so racially socially charged um it also actually has um very good combination of performances i think overall like uh christopher lloyd as professor plum and the (laughs) uncomfortable bad womanizer that professor plum is um tim curry as uh wadsworth the butler is just on fire chewing the scenery at every possible scene absolutely wonderful and michael mccann to uh in my top three performances he is brilliant as mr green who just plays it so nicely the thing that gets me the still liking this movie is the end it is a jumbled mess but it's purposeful mess it's it's, of, Scooby, it's the Scooby-Doo ending. Yeah. From Wainsworth, except nowhere done, not funny, and done anywhere near as well. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this actually does kind of... It, it's almost like what happens with Clue, where someone says, oh, yes, I've worked out who done it, and they tell it all through, and then it's like, oh, not quite right, blah, blah, blah. And then we see it again, and just the pure energy that Tim Curry brings to that final portion of the of the movie is just delightful to watch. Um, I hated every minute of this film. I think <laughs> this film was... I think I took Murder by Death over this thing because while it was inappropriate and completely non-PC and, you, you know, kind of jokes you absolutely don't make anymore... But some of them were actually funny, um, which is probably something I shouldn't admit. Um, especially some of Peter Settler's material. Um, it was just so ri- so ridiculous. It was actually amusing. Um, uh, it, I don't know. It, it didn't have a lot going for it for it. Um, Murder by Death. But my lord, I was bored out of my goddamn brain with this film. Um, I have got to admit, I've got absolutely no idea why it's so fondly remembered beyond the performance of Tim Curry, Mm. which is okay. Um, The rest of them, uh, as you say, they are chewing the scenery. 
Mm. Um, and I'm sure that was a, a, a directorial directive for choice that they were told to do. So no um, criticism intended of the actors for the nature of their performance, but my Lord. Um, mm. And the, rep the repetition of just going over the things again and again and again and again and again. Like, mm. yeah, I, I assume that was supposed to be funny um, or amusing, but it was just boring. Like, um, yeah, the, the whole thing of them being run around. Oh, no, and then he came in here and he sat down and he had a pie and then he went and watched the football for an hour and then he had a nap and then, you know, like, and, you know, Wadsworth running him back and forward through the, through the mansion, you know, stepping through all the things that happened and trying to piece together the crime. Mm. I... I kind of got what they were going for a little bit there of a couple of times where you could sort of go, oh, okay, they're trying to replicate that stage in the board game where you'd be like, I suggest it was Mr. Mm -hmm. White in the conservatory with the candlestick, you know, um, and that person checking the cards going, oh, no, it wasn't them. Mm -hmm. um, and so a couple of, that's probably the only thing apart from Tim Curry's performance I liked where there's a couple of moments where I sort of clued in that kind of tweaked it, oh, okay. That's mm -hmm. a nice little nod to the board game. But this is probably a good reason why they shouldn't be making films based on board games. I was going to actually – I'm not going to do it, but I was going to try and make a tenuous link in the chain between this and Battleship as being the only two films I can consider based on board games. Um, and I've seen Battleship, and it's not good. Um, so this is, this is 0 for 2 for board game movies. <laughs> they they are not the next one. Video games are the next one. <laughs> At one point they were going to do a Monopoly movie, so Lord knows if that's going to happen or not. Was supposed to be doing that or something. But uh, I see maybe Battleship Battleship didn't do so well. Um, that's why it died. Yeah. Um, but oh god, Lord, this is this was so campy and so over the top, um, and just not in a fun way for me. I was severely bored, and I was so glad when it was over. Um, and I, honestly, the, the ending for me, I guess it maybe it felt original in 1985. Mm. But like I said, I, for me, Wayne's World was one of my favourite films growing up. And, hey, let's do the Scooby-Doo ending, you know. Um, yeah. That was a lot more fun, mm. I, I felt, than this, which um, I, I, maybe it's because I knew it was coming. Maybe mm. that's the problem. Um, uh, I think part of the problem is the direction um, more than anything because um, it feels like it almost wanted to be in this closer in style to sort of airplane or top secret. Those kinds of so stupid they take themselves seriously to the point of stupidity. And they had kind of had those guys, those that creative team behind it, it probably would have worked better because there's the absurdity of it. Like there's a line where they're, they're rushing around and um, uh, Colonel White just goes to one of the doors and oh, just checking his line. Everything okay? So, yep, everybody, let's keep going. And like, yes, that's actually kind of funny. Um so, but it just it it didn't kind of feel right. Uh, maybe it's also just because it felt a bit tired. Um, I mean, maybe it's because we just watched Murder by Death a couple of weeks ago, um, 
that it feels a bit played out. So, um, ladies and gentlemen and viewers, uh, and everyone who's listening later on, George will edit this out, I'm sure. Um, yeah. I am on a laptop at the moment, which is just complaining vociferously about its battery. So um, I am going to have to duck uh, out of this conversation for a few moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're going to have to listen to the dulcet tones of my co-host for a little bit, talking about it, uh, his thoughts about this. Maybe talk about PlayStation VR in the meantime or something. Um, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, so part of the – I think part of the thing that ages this is this kind of comedy is not something that particularly happens too much anymore. It is – snappy back and forth repartee between characters which can work really really well like tom stoppard made made itself famous for it particularly um tim roth and gary oldman in rosencrantz and gilderstern are dead where they're just having this nonsensical conversation and even kevin smith and his movies are that kind of organic comedy is playing from one to another to another but it doesn't quite work here in spite of comedic brilliance from many of these per, uh, personalities. Um, I'm just going to look here, right? Okay, so uh, Colonel Mustard. Wadsworth, am I right in thinking there's nobody else in the house? Wadsworth, um, no. Then there is someone else in the house. Sorry, I meant no meaning yes. Uh, no meaning yes? Look, I want a straight answer. Is there someone else or isn't there? Yes or no? No. No, there is or no, there isn't? Yes. Please! It's... It's funny because it's almost on that point of I am serious and don't call me Shirley. And it's a it's a building with sick people in it and that kind of stuff. But it kind of goes on for too long. And it also, at the same time, they repeat that kind of comedy too much and too big. And when you're doing a big joke, you don't want to keep on repeating it because it's not funny until the end. And you've wasted a lot of time if you're repeating it. So I am serious and don't call me Shirley is snap. It's there. It's funny. It's done. It's moved on. And then it can come up organically in another conversation. And he's back. I am back. Sorry about that, people. Uh, I was at literally 1%. <gasps> oh, so, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a uh, thrown-together afternoon here at, uh, at uh, the uh, studio, so hence I didn't have, have time to charge the... I should have fought to charge his laptop a little bit more uh, comprehensively before we show it. Anyway, we are, um, professional. Uh, we are super professional. We can fix this in post. Um, we can CGI uh, Christopher Plummer in instead of me. Hmm. Like I was uh, just saying sort of part of the... with with the conversation uh, with the with the humor of it is it's somewhat outdated and outmoded but it's almost a little bit like a play where jokes go on for a long period of time before you get to the punchline but they keep repeating that style of joke and it's like okay not gonna laugh at this joke because you've done it five times or variation of it and and then little bits throw in feel lazy, like, so it was you. I was going to expose you. I know, so I chose to expose myself. Please, there are ladies present. No. Um, funny, the jokes, those jokes came up again, very similar to the gags in um, Murder by Death. Peter Falk yeah. came up with a few lines like that. But like, that was kind of funny. Hmm. This just 
wasn't. It was. It felt cheesy. I I did like simple things like the um, for timeline wise, the fact that they were also making jokes of them, like the repeated one, especially at the end of communism was just a red herring. That was kind of funny for the time. I but guess. Um, it wasn't. It was like, oh, okay, yes, yes, highbrow humor. Hmm. Yes. You make a good point earlier, just before I had to duck off for 30 seconds there to put the charger in, um, that, you know, if it had been all the way a Zucker film, Zucker Brothers film, like the guys who did, he sort of mentioned the airplane, such flying high, uh, naked gun films. Yes. Um, you know, um, if it had been, but the thing is about those guys commit. The film is ridiculous and anything can happen at any moment. So in the internal logic of the film, you know, um, you know the plane crashing and Leslie Nielsen sticking his head in the cockpit going, just want to wish you good luck and we're all counting on you four, <laughs> four times. That repetition works because it's stupid and, and that's the tone the film set. And, um, it's, and it's funny and, and so it works. But if a film is trying to sort of, um, again, I bet Murder by Death kind of did a little bit the same thing. We're trying to merge that outrageous, ridiculous, parodic, parodic nature of those films against a serious, you know, mm. murder mystery film or a mystery, you know, just they don't actually kind of click uh, together at all. Are we measuring, are we taking a special guest? And we do have Charles joining the show. Welcome aboard Charles the Cat. Um, here he comes. Uh <laughs> he is adorable and he knows it. Yes, he's also got um, too much energy for this time of night. So, I would just like to give a sh shout out, actually, now it's a good point to give a shout out to um, my old cat, Buddy, who was, uh, depending on how you want to put it, uh, took the Rainbow Bridge this afternoon or uh, got the Green Dream. Uh, he. Uh, Got put down this afternoon, unfortunately. Sort of take the tone of a show down. But um, Buddy was 23 at the start of September. Um, oh, shit. And yeah, I I got I got Buddy from a shelter 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> and and he was I guess eight at the time. If you can do sums, and he he survived purely on hatred, cynicism, piss, and wind. Um, and he was an absolute fucking champion for doing it. He was a brilliant cat, and uh, uh, he'll be missed by the people who knew him. I think you, you met Buddy a few times. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, if you're, it's a, it's a little, little shout out to Buddy wherever he may be. You know, we're having a. I'll, 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 I will punch one of the neighborhood cats in your honor, buddy, because that's how you would have wanted it. Um, notoriously, um, notoriously sort of uh, pugnacious cat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry. Um, clue, just it, you're right. Is that like a play? That, that mm. merger of that play, sort of serious stuff against the board gamey stuff, and then add in the ridiculously, you know, over-the-top comedy that you mm. might find in a Zucker Brothers film, it just graded for me. And um, it was it just almost... too silly. Oh, he's dribbled on my shoulder. <laughs> it's, that, it's that's, what she, that's what she said. Um, <laughs> it's almost like um, part of me kind of feels like this sort of thing after watching Murder by Death and Clue. It feels like as if someone just went, you know what? We've done the 
Faulty Towers Experience Restaurant. We could do that for oh, <laughs> we could do that for Clue. And this just feels more like like a trial run for what it would be like to actually run an experiential hotel or an escape room where there are actors as well kind of merged in with the rest of the crowd. It's Did you know um, that there was once upon a time a TV show based on Clue or Cluedo as it's marketed in Australia? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. An Australian television show, in fact, based on the world game. Um, okay. And, and uh, I'm just going to try and boot some of it up here for you. And uh, what would basically happen? You had a film sequence uh, where, you know, actors portraying the characters would be, in, you know, <laughs> a mansion, funny enough, and someone would get murdered. And then the actors would sit on a stage live in front of a studio audience who would be asking the questions, trying to solve. The, the mystery um, yeah, live. So I'm just going to give you a quick taste uh, for people who are curious. So bear with me a tick. Um. I'm reading some of the, some of the quotes here, and I, I do still make it does still make me laugh. Like Wadsworth at the start of the evening, Yvette was here by herself, waiting to offer you all a glass of champagne. I was in the hall. I know because I was there. It's funny. The way that he delivers it is funny, but it doesn't land. It comes close to landing. It's the best stuff he, he comes from and here. And then look... like three murders, six altogether. This is getting serious. Again, it's it's funny. It almost lands, but it just doesn't quite. Not quite. Um, sorry, it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to share it with you. My, uh, my, my craptacular laptop is in the middle of having a hissy fit here, so... Um, uh, going beautifully tonight. This is what happens when I <laughs> change equipment. <laughs> We're a professional show. Needless to say, needless to say, the show didn't go for very long, um, and uh, it wasn't very good. Um, it didn't work very well having a live studio audience asking questions of actors who were then trying improv responses. Mm. It takes a lot of skill to do that. And yeah. if you don't get asked the appropriate questions to continue on, whew, that's hard. So just to make things, you know, oh, no, we are back. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, um, you can find it on YouTube if you're interested. Sorry, the, the page with the, the, uh, the actual show on it was um, freezing up for me a little bit. Um, uh, but you can actually use YouTube, Clue, Clue Do, which is what the game's called in Australia. Um, TV series, and you can get some clips and stuff in there. But um, so I, I think this is yet another unsuccessful uh, mm. attempt at um, trying to convert a board game into a movie or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. Because um, do, it, this this did kind of inspire me to come up with a concept of what board game would I convert to a movie? And I had kind of an interesting idea for Guess Who. <laughs> Basically, it being a spy thing, almost like taking a little bit of that 24 kind of editing of there always being multiple or usually being multiple things on the screen at once and one coming in, a little bit time cody, and literally kind of two opposing factions in the spy game, slowly but surely working out who's who at a, at a, 
um, at, at the same event where there's like, um, let's just say, for based off of Clue, there's uh, communist spies versus the US spies, and they're both at this dinner party and they're trying to work out who's who, and they've got some like earpieces in and they're getting fed information and things like that. They're like, okay, that could be kind of interesting, but it'd be really hard to do and keep that going for a whole film. Whew. <laughs> I did Google it quickly, and there was a movie made in 2015 called Guess Who, but I don't think it's actually based on the game. <laughs> it was um, was. I mean, uh, I mean, I think the obvious answer is Hungry Hungry Hippos. Um, that would be the next Pixar film for sure. I, um, no, I think if, if you're going to do Hungry Hungry Hippos, you've got to have Michael Bay. <laughs> uh, I'm just ashamed that the Tetris movie got cancelled because I was looking forward to that one. Oh... No, no, we don't encourage those sorts of things. I was having a conversation with someone, um, I think it was last night, actually. We were talking whilst playing Dungeons and Dragons about um, the Emoji movie. And yes. I am thankful that that movie flopped because if that had made it an, an, any money, you can guarantee that we would already be sitting on the Funko Pop movie three or something like that it would be fuckable land movies it would be horrendous um don't give them any ideas um we that, put that's, you've put too many out there already they that sounds like a horrendous one. idea for i did i there is a product but i just do not understand the purpose so i know you've got some behind you here but um, um <laughs> pops, it's just the dust magnets for me um <laughs> I don't understand why they exist. Um, I've, I've got one specifically for you, though. Where is it? It's a startlingly good television here, people. Um, that is Phil Connors. Okay, cool. Yeah, with Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, um, let's move on. I'm sorry. Sorry, it's been it's been a little bit. Of, I guess I found this really hard to watch um so look i know it's really fondly remembered by a lot of people who i've spoken to about it this week oh i love that movie mm. sorry it went over my head um the rampant overacting the strange tone and i just had a few too many murder in the mansion films in the one month I couldn't resist this opportunity as an excuse to go back to clue obviously it's a deeply remote it's one you remember fondly from when you were young yeah yeah, this was this was one that I think I remember. Um, actually, yeah, my, my I think both my parents really enjoyed it. And then there was a guy that I became friends with um, while working at Virgin Megastores in London, and he was a huge fan of this. And we would go back to his place, and he had thousands of DVDs in his library, personal library, thousands of DVDs. And we would just sit there and watch some of the craziest stuff. Like that's where I found out about Blake Seven. Uh, this we ended up uh, going on this massive um, Dune fest where we were going through Dune and Children of Dune, the, uh, the TV shows. We watched the original um, uh, David Fincher version. We watched documentaries about it. It was great. He was a wealth of knowledge. Ollie, if you randomly are watching this, hi um yeah that was that was a that was a fun time maybe i enjoyed it more because i was stoned a little bit when i watched that scandalous i know i know 
terrible, terrible stuff. It was sick. Of, it was it was third hand smoke. <laughs> oh yeah, I, what was the uh, Bill Clinton line? I never inhaled. Yeah, <laughs> it was just around me. I couldn't escape it. I was just I was only there to get find get directions on how to get away from there. <laughs> now, you have the keys to the kingdom, sir. I know, and and you you've given me a wealth of exits to this one. It's an, exactly. a well known, even John I Landis. Mean, I, um, I um some of like a mighty wind, um, or this is Spinal Tap. Well, Michael McKean, there's one option. It's just John Landis. That you know, we could go to the Blues Brothers 2000, like I promised. Don't um, do it. Don't be mean. <laughs> no, I We've been criticised at points in time by people who shall remain nameless, um, who don't like Star Trek, um, for doing too many boring movies that are blokey and just a little bit too us. Mm. So, um, stuff to play into our wheelhouse. And we did, mm. earlier in the year, we tried to get away from that with some stuff that we thought was a little bit left field for us. Mm. So you might you might have watched it and gone, oh, well, that's pretty normal. But stuff that we specifically wouldn't normally pick. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm going to stick to this time. Because I was thinking about something like Blazing Saddles um, mm -hmm. or Mighty Wind um, or Young Frankenstein. Um, all classics. the roots. Uh, and I thought maybe Blazing Saddles would be a nice companion piece with um, Murder by Death, considering it's also incredibly racist. Um, and it, but, you know, because it's Mel Brooks, you get away with it. But no, I am going to go way left field. I'm going to go exactly where no one expects me to go. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go left when they think I'm going to go right. I am going to go with Tim Curry, and we're going back to 1975, and we're going to the only film in the series that doesn't star Sylvester Stallone. That is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm not really looking forward to seeing this, but I do kind of want to keep people guessing occasionally. <clears throat> do you know how many times I had to watch this through all the years of wanting to be an actor? Really? Yeah. Uh, why? Don't know. Can't work it out. It was always part of the part of the subject course that my teachers did, and the amount of, I I I'm now suffering from PTSD for. Let's do time warp again. Oh, look, I'm really not looking forward to seeing this. It's one of those films that's kind of been on my. Well, I don't see musicals as a rule. I don't like film musicals. I don't like live musicals. I don't think they're stupid, but. I can't tell you the amount of times I've had people recommend this film to me. Like, people love this film in a completely unnatural way. So um, I've never seen it. So um, I have never seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, um, boy. So hence why I thought this is an opportunity to zig when people think I'm going to zag and see a film that's a bit left field and hopefully – it should give you a reasonable amount of ways out of the film. Nothing else. Susan Sarandon's in it. She's very famous. Well, uh, Susan Sarandon was in the last one. No, she wasn't. Wait, that wasn't Susan Sarandon, was it? It, just, it looked a hell of a lot like her, but it wasn't her. Fuck a lot like her. Holy shit. Oh, well, you know, uh, immediately I kind of feel like I want to go um, and follow Meatloaf. To Tenacious D and Pick of Destiny, um, or no, any of the other films he was in, like Fight Club. 
<laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and uh, go left when you all think I'm gonna go right. Well, look, I think it keeps people interested, maybe, um, and it challenges us a little bit to try and make a film that we have very little interest in. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I apologize for triggering you. Um, I'm sure a number of people will enjoy seeing me suffer. <laughs> well, that is our next link in the chain, folks. We are going to Rocky Horror Picture. Uh, like, I've been subjected to recently calls to see The Sound of Music. And the only reason I've got away with it so far is because I'm like, it goes for three bloody hours. See, The Sound of Music has one of the very few things in it. But it's got two things in it that be okay with having to watch it. One, apparently, um, any musical that involves Nazis is kind of entertaining. Sound of Music and the producers is, is the two of those. They are both great. And Christopher Plummer is Julianne Richard. There we go. But three hours, we've done too many of those recently. I think um, I think I'll take the producers when it comes to singing the artists. Um, yes. Spring Don't be dumb, be a smarty. Come and join the Nazi party. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen that, uh, I recommend the original Gene Wilder version over the um, Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick one. But that's pretty good too. It's all right, yeah. Will, Will Ferrell as... Um, <laughs> As the as the is his typical Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, should we we're gonna move on to the did you get a chance? Power? The Rings of Power. I have yes. seen episode one. Okay, okay. So yes, Amazon the Prime Prime Videos, the much lauded, highly publicized, massive budget TV show. Based on the properties of J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. So this has been a hot topic this week, anywhere you turn, because it's been review bombed to hell and back by fanboys or something. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been a lot of controversy. You've seen lots of videos on YouTube of people taking either side of the argument on this one. Um, Where do you stand on Tolkien? Are you a fan? Um. Yes, a fair weather fan. Like this, to to start talking a little bit about the show. This feels very much like Tolkien. You you made a post about it on Facebook. Of yep, it meanders. It takes its sweet time. That that's Tolkien. Have you read the books? I mean, most of the books are a few of them. I've, I've read The Hobbit, and I uh, got halfway through the Lord of the Rings collection of books, but then eventually I just go. No, I'm going to turn around and walk home. I think about this. I never read The Hobbit. I read maybe half is maybe generous of how much of Lord of the Rings I read mm. um, because I got about, I mean, like I got a quarter of a way through it. Started going, who is that guy? Who is who's this guy again? Who is he? What's he doing again? Like, we haven't mentioned him for 400 pages. Like, mm. um, you know, it was just so tedious and over the, you know, slow. Mm. Uh, I know, and I know it's a classic of English literature, and people mm. love talking and fa- but fantasy really isn't my genre. So, in fairness, I'm probably not a great, you know, source of information, not target audience for that. But I never read the books, but I love the Peter Jackson films. I think they are absolute masterpieces. Now, I should note, um, I've been subjected to the extended editions a few times. 
Mm-hmm. And I think they're a bit self-indulgent. But that's fine because they were just released on a DVD. Yes. If you are a mega fan, um, mm-hmm. like my ex-wife was, mm-hmm. you can go and buy the freaking DVDs or you can go and see them at the movies when they play, but the special editions. But, you know, the regular film viewers got the cut-down version, which is you know, what, still about three hours long each. But then again, it's a lot to work with. Um, I, I think the Lord of the Rings films are great. I think the Hobbit films were a bit bloated and a bit meh. Yeah. But they were okay. I mean, they went mm-hmm. awful. This looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And you're right. My Facebook post was it did feel Tolkien-esque. I was kind of being a little bit facetious in the sense it was kind of episode one I found really ran out of steam for me after about halfway through um, and became pretty slow and tedious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and spent a lot of time uh, jerking itself off, building its world in a not very interesting way, which (laughs) reminded me very much of Tolkien's writing. So so I'm going to pronounce it wrong. I think it's Tolkien, but I pronounce it it Tolkien. Tolkien. So, you know, whatever. Um, But (laughs) overall, I thought it was all right. Like, it wasn't terrible. People are going around calling it the worst thing since, you know, um, Saddam Hussein or something. It's just like it's people are really shitting on it uh, hard, and it's like it's terrible, and it's you know yet another example of Hollywood. You know, can't write and blah blah blah. I thought the first twenty minutes, to half an hour, was pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. When we are introduced to Galadriel and her band, who are well, which gives some background. What they are. this is not based on one of Tolkien's actual books. This is, this is based on source material source material, which is a very loose way of saying Amazon got their hands on an absolute skerrick, like the footnotes of like the, the Cimmerillion or something is what they got the rights to. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, like by any of it, a very small portion, just enough to be able to put Lord of the Rings on the banner mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of characters. It's a bit like when Marvel sort of had Wanda and Quicksilver, but they just couldn't say that they were mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of situation we were on here, but... Um, this is an original story based on his the footnotes from the Cimmerillion. I'm joking, but, you know, whatever rights it is they bought. Epic drama set thousands of years before the events of Tolkien's, Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings follows an ensemble cast of characters, both familiar and new, as they confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. So episode one, we meet our, I guess, protagonist is Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Galadriel is disturbed by signs of an ancient evil's return. Arandir makes an unsettling discovery. Elrond is presented with an intriguing new venture. Nori breaks a deeply held community rule. That's actually a really shitty um, synopsis, um, but yeah. kind of, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot. So Galadriel, we meet who is leading a band of elves. Uh, if you don't remember who Galadriel is, Galadriel was a character played by Kate Blanchett in the Peter Jackson films. Mm-hmm. And she's an elf warrior, and she's leading his troop of elves uh trying to track down uh sauron mm-hmm. who is believed to be made by many to be dead but galadriel is not prepared to accept that until she can verify that he is dead mm-hmm. she's at the point now where this has gone on way longer than people thought it would go on um and people that her the elves in her her band her mm-hmm. party and they're getting pretty antsy to go home yeah um and that's where we meet galadriel uh tracking trying to track Sauron into a cave and it's a pretty badass fight sequence between Galadriel of a party and a cave troll or a snow troll not a cave troll they apparently are different 
Um, and I thought that was like thinking to myself after 20 minutes, I'm like, this is pretty badass. I don't understand what people are complaining about. Um, there's been some complaints about the portrayal of Galadriel. I thought the actor did a pretty kick-ass job mm-hmm. and she's played by, I'm going to pronounce this very badly, <laughs> Morford, Morford Clark, the mm-hmm. Swedish-born Welsh actress, just to make pronouncing her name difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not seen her in anything. but No, I don't she, think I have. She's pretty good in there. She would tell a lie. She was in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I did see that. Oh, yeah. um, but I've tried to black it out of my memory as much as possible with excessive drinking. Come on, therapy. What? You know, just the excessive amounts of vodka. It's, no, that film didn't happen. Um, except with Louis James. Louis James happened in that film. Yes. Um, and Matt Smith. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, I, so after about so for 20, first 25 minutes or so, we are meeting Galadriel, we're meeting her party, we're seeing what a badass she is, um, and then we move in to talk a little bit more about Elrond and the fascinating world of inter-elf politics. Mm. And, and that's where it really starts to run out of puff. Now, before we go any further with that, the first two episodes are both over an hour long hour and five minutes and an hour and seven minutes that's a lot of introductory content and i have now got a new rule new rule of any new tv show that does not just release the whole season at once if they release the first two or the first three episodes in one go and then go week to week they're gonna have pacing issues because that's what this is. The first episode is all world building, all character introduction, setting everything up. And the producers and the people in Prime Video have just gone, ooh. Goes on for a little bit. We need a bit more of an action-y, story-driving episode. Episode two is like that, right? You say, oh, yeah, 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 don't worry. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll release that to- as well. That way people can roll straight into the next one and feel better about it. It's going, oh, well, the first episode was a bit tough. The second one was better. And this is kind of what happens here even in the first episode we start with a bit of a bang with this introduction to galadriel and then yes politics it's a bit like it's a a bit like that scene in um the phantom menace or was it the uh attack of the clones we had galactic politics Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've been wondering how the galactic political system works for 30 years now oh yeah on the plus side, this does not have a character as annoying as Jar Jar Binks or Grogu. So yes. Okay. Yet. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. And I, I understood what I was seeing. He was probably world building, got in action, and they needed to tell us the first episode itself who everybody is, mm-hmm. what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what's going on around them. Mm. So it needs to set up a world. And, like, I mean, you know, while we have the slight advantage of having seen six films, um, set in this world. This is set, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years before mm-hmm. those films. So, you know, you need to give us a little bit more context about what's happening. So I was good at that. I just don't think it did it in a very interesting way. Mm. Um, I just kind of feel like it was it was spending so much time with some pretty boring stuff. Mm. You know, 
Elrond, I think, I don't know if it's the actor who's playing him or just the way he's being written here, but I, I found Robert Arameo is the guy playing him. They mm. um, found him deeply uninteresting to look, watch and listen to, whereas he was played as a character played by Hugo Weeding in the Peter Jackson films, who is, I think, one of the most interesting actors in the world to watch mm. and listen to, just because mm. he has that weird face and a weird way of talking. Mm-hmm. And you, you put some elf ears on him, you're like, maybe that guy isn't human. Yeah. Um, with with Hugo Weaving's performance as well, there were, he, even just with a look, he told you more about his the the character of Elrond. Like just the moments where so like where, where it's a secret meeting, and then suddenly the rest of the hobbits appear. Just that look, as like what the fuck? how did you what, what? And it's just a look, but he tells you so much about the character of Elrond that he is presenting. This one feels very scripted as a character. This version of Elrond feels very constricted. And I, again, I've never seen the actor, I don't think, hmm. in anything. He was in Game of Thrones, apparently. Um, but I don't think he's... Well, he's not on the level with Hugo. And of course, Hugo Weaving, by that point in time, is thousands of years older, so, you know... Characters are going change. <laughs> um, but I just found him really kind of came across as a real pretty boy um and not terribly interesting but maybe but i I, what i'm sorry i'm trying to say is that i'm not joining the pylon on this show Mm. because i thought the episode while it was just a bit Mm. long and a bit dreary at the end it kind of dull and i kind of really checked out after about 40 minutes of 20 minutes of of you know elfish politics and um i was kind of going but there's enough here there's enough here, and I kind of figured what you said was right, that they are spending the second half of this episode to build their world a little bit. Mm. And I'm, I'm hearing, or I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, that the second set a lot more entertaining, a lot less of that going on. Mm. Um, so, but I felt like the first episode showed us more, and, well, more than enough, really, mm. that there's potentially a really interesting series mm. here. And that's coming from me, who is not a fan of fantasy at all. Um, Without going into details about episode two, which I did also watch, they are also actually using that time surprisingly well to delineate between the races. Like the race of the elves is all about slow time. They go on for millennia. They barely age and all of this stuff. And so almost to, to the point of ends where they would have ent moot and they would just be oh we've only just finished saying good morning it's like but it's nighttime now i kind of get what they're trying to do with this like high society holier than thou kind of vibe of the elven culture in episode two we see a lot more of the dwarvish culture which is very different and it's presented in a very different way and it's instantly the 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 thing with it is it makes you enjoy that more and so you don't enjoy the elves because it's like oh fuck just get on with it (laughs) and it doesn't help when two of the main characters are elves you don't want to be telling your character get on with it let me see the the muddy dwarf people instead it's you want to try and make them both shine but in different styles different 
attitude. And I don't know if they're doing that quite right yet, but I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Probably the least interesting arc for me in the first episode was the uh, um, involving uh, the Elvish Archer guy and him having an affair with a human. I guess it's Aaron Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Deer he plays. And I think he's one of the more controversial characters because fuckwits out there apparently think elves can't be people of colour. And and I just want to remind them if they're listening or watching now, elves are real. You don't know that. No, well, I'm pretty confident. Um, but <laughs> Tolkien made them up. Um, they are real, mm-hmm. and they can be whatever the fuck the people earning the rights want them to be. To be like, you know what, James Good, James Bond could be played by a black person as well, a person of color. It could be played by, and you know, Michelle Yao. I would be all over seeing her as an exchange Bond. That would be amazing. That so, okay, yeah. Anyone is a fictional character. That's not real. So, mm-hmm. um, yep. and so I guess that's part of the critique here is, you know, mm-hmm. well, Rings has gone, worker, worker, work, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, you know, we've been critical in the past of, you know, people jamming, you know, their agendas into properties in incredibly artless and ham-fisted ways. I don't know about you. It didn't really feel that way to me. No, it was... It... <sighs> It just was that that was the character that they were presenting as like, okay, cool. I mean, I did say I found his character the least interesting, but maybe he'll get more interesting as the series goes. And it's certainly not a re- result of the fact that he's played by someone of color that makes him less interesting. It's just mm. that yeah, I just didn't think that was a particularly interesting story, but they told at that point in time. Um, but I could it's see the drop down. There's a little, little hints in here, like, okay, I can see how it might go somewhere interesting. This is what they did with the character in that first episode was a bit dull. Mm. Um, One of the things that I will say about the show, having watched the two episodes, part of the disservice to the show is the Lord of the Rings movies. They are so beloved and they freshly repopularized the Lord of the Rings work and Tolkien's work in general that you can't help but kind of go, oh, so that's going to lead to that. Oh, that ca- that character is not mentioned in Peter Jackson's movie, so they die. Um, okay. And you can't help but try and wheedle out and work out what's going to be what and who's going to end up becoming who or things like that. Like, I've got a theory on what happens with um, Aaron Deer that I won't say because I don't want to spoil it for anyone else. Um, and I have got uncomfortably good talent for that. <laughs> you do. Um, it's a superpower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but I, um, so I think as two, one on moderate talking fan, one very much not a talking fan, I think we're saying it's all right. Yeah. For a start, it's not terrible. We've seen um, far worse TV shows and especially in recent memory. I'm interested to watch another episode. I'll watch episode two. And mm-hmm. do you think you'll keep watching for now? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, for one thing, Prime Video is dirt cheap compared to the rest of them. Um, but also, it's a little bit different to a lot of the other stuff that's going on at the moment. This isn't um trading on nostalgia for the 80s or the 70s or the 90s or anything like that it's not just 
another superhero thing. This is like, okay, they are actually trying to do a little bit of politics into here. They have got good action. They're actually invested and made the CGI look good, unlike She-Hulk. Um, See, if, if, if it should note that you're on a right, it's a great point that the show looks spectacular. Hmm. We yep. said at the start, this is like one of the most expensive shows ever made, if not the most expensive show ever made, and you can mm. see it. You can see the money is on the screen. Mm. Um, I will also like to point out uh, the first two episodes are both directed by J.A. Bayona, who I know his work because he did The Orphanage, uh, The Impossible, A Monster Calls, and he also did uh, uh, Jurassic World uh, Fallen Kingdom, um but he is someone who's got a lot of talent for he's quite a director he just did a film called the impossible which i know a lot of people copped a lot of shit and people didn't like it but i really enjoyed it i thought it was good um you also um uh did you do uh, that zombie film no somebody else who did that one i'm thinking of but the impossible is uh, a really cracking film Mm. um and i enjoyed it so he yeah. yeah and it's good to see kind of exciting to see well i really you know that guy does really decent feature films yeah yeah um so i'm i'm it's it's a little disappointing that he's only got two episodes credited to his name but i overall liked what he did with it um the other director on there is uh, a guy called wayne yip um just looking not at his... instantly familiar with that name he directed a bunch of episodes of the wheel of time which was a show that i generally liked in spite of it being quite different to the source material he's also he directed doctor who? doctor who yeah which is interesting that's um up and down and utopia which was uh very successful yeah it was. Um, He's more of a TV TV director, this guy. Yeah, it would be interested to see kind of um, how that experience kind of changes things a little bit on the show, Um, being that difference between film director versus TV director. You do need different skills for those ones. So as you noted, as as this show goes, as some of the the bigger, you know, big-name shows that's dropped lately, give me this over She-Hulk any day of the week, any day. It looks mm-hmm. like I don't know, like She Hulk looks like something done something super super cheap compared mm-hmm. to this. And um, yeah, we talked about that. I haven't, I haven't watched any more of it, so I can't comment. That gives but us a into what I was going to talk about the episode mm-hmm. three. If that, if you're finished with the rings, by, of by all means, now, this has become kind of infamous now because of the twerking scene. <sighs> I don't give a shit about a twerking scene or anything like that. This. <sighs> I don't I just don't care. I'm I'm trying really hard to care, but I just don't it every time She-Hulk is on screen, with the one exception of in episode one where she does this cute little twist and hair flick thing while she's fighting Bruce on the beach in wherever the fuck it is, Mexico or whatever. She Hulk has not looked good in the in the in the scene in the world it doesn't look right she's walking around in this suit that it looks like bad 90s graphics of a video game um this this episode episode three um i haven't watched any of the other ones yet um let me just make sure that i 
am thinking about the right episodes here. Um, yeah, the people versus Emil Blonsky. Um, She-Hulk represents Emil Blonsky, aka the Abomination, but his parole hearing doesn't go as planned. Yeah, it does. It's just a little bit frustrating for for the characters. It's an interesting way that they're representing um, the abomination in this. He's in a polyamorous relationship, um, and we get Wong coming in, and it's the funniest part of the whole whole show. He is, you know, he's the, the key witness in the parole hearing for Emil Blonsky. And he turns up late, surprise, surprise. So they have to tread water for ages, and it's oh, it's funny. And it's not funny. Um, but then he turns up and he presents stuff. And then at the end of the thing, they um, the the parole hearing board is going. You do realize, um, Wong, that you just admitted to a crime. You you broke someone out of prison, and he just gets up and goes, I have to go. <laughs> opens the portal and leaves. <laughs> That's it. It's just done. And that was funny. Benedict um, Wong. Yeah, Benedict Wong is brilliant as Wong, and I love how they are developing the character of Wong in the MCU. He is good connective tissue for all of them. Because he seems to really nail that character. Um, but otherwise... <sighs> It's more of what you're already seeing, half-baked, poorly designed jokes that other shows and other movies have done better. It's focus, It's really revolving and getting more and more focused on the She-Hulk persona rather than Jennifer Walters. And the CGI is not strong enough to hold it. It just looks out of place. And again, those moments where she's breaking the fourth wall and talking they don't feel organic like when Deadpool does it. He's just doing it in his way. This just doesn't feel right. It's a big miss. Big miss. There's so far I've not had a real highlight except Wong leaving a scene. And and that's a, a legacy character essentially. Character yeah. already meant so. And then there's even a point in it where she breaks the fourth wall and she's talking, saying, Oh, I want you to remember that this is this is the She-Hulk show, so it's not gonna be a cameo of every episode, except Bruce and uh the Abomination and Wong and as well. You're not making your own case very well right there, and that's not actually funny. That's that you are just stating facts. That's not funny. So maybe that's that's like an end cap, and now it's no more MCU cameos. But we already know that's not the case because they've already said that Daredevil's going to appear. So is this just a vehicle to introduce other people into the MCU? Sure, changing like sure changing the titular character a little bit, right? Yeah. It's like it's like having a Star Wars show all about Boba Fett and then Boba Fett leaving for, in the last episode of his season. So weird. It's 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 there very, very strange going on over there at Disney on this kind of thing. It's a, yeah, I don't I know. Get it. I know so many people say they're liking it. I, I just got no idea how because it's just yeah rubbish. And like I mean, I didn't watch it, so I can't comment this new episode, but I'm like, really? You, you thought putting a mid-credit scene with 
your superhero character twerking with Megan Thee Stallion, who I think is a rapper. Um, yeah. It was just cringe overload. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I, mm, I, I don't understand. The, yep. that, the people behind this are talented. They've done good yep. work before. There's genuine talent on this show. A consistently long period of time. And we said last week, the woman who wrote this wrote, wrote the Pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty. Um, they worked on Silicon Valley, you know, some really great TV shows. And I'm like, I don't know what you're doing here, guys. I, it's a Disney. I don't know. Mm. It's, it's usually, I would say that it's usually disappointing, but I wasn't expecting much to begin with. Yeah, still undercutting that bar. They really haven't taken long to take a dump on their reputation, Marvel. Like mm. a year and a half, not even two years of TV. Really, mm. um, that's, uh, that's, they, they're kind of going. Oh yes, ten years of the MCU. So I'm like, yep, that's where it stopped being interesting. I, they, I hate to say it, I think they need a hit. Yeah, yeah, or at, at least something compelling, because none of it is compelling so far. Um, she Hulk has not kind of state its claim as this is what it's trying to do um this is what we are i've seen a lot of people going online about so like oh stop expecting thor love and thunder to be an amazing piece of cinema like, no 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 there's, there's a difference yes maybe it's a comedy or maybe it's the mcu's first rom-com or however you want to label it so you can actually do that well you can do it badly just because it doesn't work mean doesn't mean anything or just because it does work doesn't mean anything it's people are getting protective over it like they are the original trilogy of star wars or no the prequel trilogy of star wars sorry well and yeah we won't go we really get lights on um on, on, on all of that stuff but it's 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 a shame uh, they seem to be really uh, they're both saturating the market mm-hmm. and, and putting out bad products. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a death spiral. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, unfortunately, we don't seem to. We seem to be the ones that are saying that, and not everyone else. Yeah. Uh, one day, I suspect people are going to wake up and they're going to go, "Wow, Marvel really sucks now," and they're going to be these. They're going to be the apologists who've been saying. Oh no, it's pretty good. T-shirts, armchair producers. We told you so. (laughs) You're like, I like whatever you're. You're like, I am. I do it. It's just, I just don't understand how Mm -hmm. people can see this and say it's anywhere near the standard they were producing four or five years ago. Yeah, agreed. Speaking of things that I just quickly covered, it reminded me to talk about it quickly. Is the new episode of Rick and Morty landed this week? Season six has started. Oh yeah. Uh, it landed on Monday Australian time, and episode one was an episode called Soul Ricks, and the mm-hmm. Smiths deal with last season's fallout and Rick and Morty are stranded in space, floating in the remnants of a citadel. Reasons reminded me, apart from um, uh, the Jessica Gow, I think her name, Jessica Gow, who wrote Pickle Rick, there's also a reference to the Avengers in the first five minutes of this um, episode where uh, Rick is stra- and Morty are stranded on the now destroyed citadel of ricks and he's um he's asking telling morty his story and tells him to write it down i don't have a helmet like that avengers guy 
Uh, <laughs> and then turns into a very funny bit between him and Morty going, you know I'm the only person here, so who is that comment for? You know his name. You know his name's Iron Man. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, Last season was a bit hit and miss, if mm. you're a fan of Rick and Morty. There were some episodes and there were some of the worst episodes they've ever done, which yeah. considering I think it's one of the best animated shows on television, Mm -hmm. One of the best shows on television, period, for me. Um, you know, that's not saying very much in the sense of like having a bad episode when you've just been hitting home runs for four seasons is, you know, understandable. But um, the, the last couple of episodes of season five were crackers. They really were a rich, strong return to form, you know, funny, cerebral, challenging, um, you know, uh, stuff. And yeah really what you know rewarded multiple viewings mm -hmm. uh and i'm pleased to say episode one of season six is more of the same it's it was hilarious it was interesting it was engaging it was entertaining it was smart all the things you want from a rick and morty episode um I guess the only downside i can think of to say i won't spend long on this because it's a 20 minutes tv show um is it's very meta now. Mm. Like it's looping back in on itself multiple times. Mm. So, for example, in I guess it's, no, I don't want to spoil it in case people want to watch it. But you know, there's, there's big story element, plot, plot elements in this episode refer back to stuff that's happened. You know, and multiple things that have happened in previous seasons. You know, a, a character finds themselves in a particular universe. And it's sort of going, well, you know, but he's been, this is not the first time they've been there. They've been there multiple times. Mm. And the show remembers what happened in those those visits to that universe. So I mean, trying to be a little bit cryptic here because I want people to be able to enjoy it. Um, and I'm like, because I've seen it's what, very few shows I can watch again and again and again. Um, Rick and Morty's one of them. Um, and so, because I've watched most of the episodes multiple times, you sort of go, "Ah, I get what that's about." No, I remember he went to this thing, and then that happened, and you know, that's a reference to that other thing. Um, but if you're, this is not the place to join the series. This is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. If you are going, oh, that Rick and Morty thing. I tried a pickle Rick ice cream from the milk bar the other day, and it was quite tasty. I thought maybe I'd start watching Rick and Morty for the first time ever, and I'll start at this. The first episode of a sixth season is a good place to start. It's not. Um, you know, you do need to start at the beginning if you want to join Rick and Morty train. You really do. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's going to, this isn't sure. It's a bit like Marvel in the sense that you need to do your homework. Um, you're not going to make, this is not going to make a lot of sense if you haven't watched um, Rick and Morty uh before now and mm -hmm. if you watched it like years ago and you were stoned at the time i'm like somebody else who shall remain nameless who when they watched um tv shows with their friend in london um, <laughs> um if, if you're stoned at the time and you don't remember what happened it, it could be a challenge as well that's a very <laughs> not, it's not really a um that's not really a complaint for me because like well it's not the show's job to remind you of everything it's but it's they do meta very nicely. It's not flip back to this thing. Remember this thing because it was nostalgic. It's more like it flip back to this thing because it matters. Yeah. In the storyline. So yeah. um, fingers crossed they keep this up because it was a wonderful return. Yeah. It's, it's, Rick and Morty is one of those shows where they do have 
kind of character progression off screen as well, which is really nice when they have gone back to um, sort of like other places. The character has just gone off and just had their own storyline. And you don't necessarily have to see it all that time. Or if you do, it's done in a funny way, a funny, quick retelling way just to explain it. And then, the, then they carry on to get to the new stuff. That's very relevant that happened in this episode particularly. And you just know if this was Disney who owned this property and maybe they will one day, they'd be doing it. So let's do a spin-off to what happened in that six months that we were in, in that universe with that character. Uh, a Jerry movie. We need a Jerry movie. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, I want you to tell me about the sequel to Fletch. Yeah. So last week we talked about uh, my surprise find, uh, the original Chevy Chase film Fletch, mm. um, where he plays a investigative journalist uh, and ends up solving mysteries in a comedic May. Um, and I thought it was a huge flop for some reason. When it turns out that's not true. I was confusing it with Cops and Robertsons or something. Um, <laughs> so... The film did so well that they made a sequel, Fletch Lives, in 1989, again starring Chevy Chase as Fletch. After receiving an inheritance in Louisiana, Los Angeles reporter Irvin Fletcher heads to the Belle Isle plantation where he gets himself into hilarious trouble. Um, the critics didn't like this very much. It doesn't have a great rating in IMDb. It has a 6.1. Um, I really enjoyed this one as well. I thought this was more of the same. Mm -hmm. Chevy Chase being sarcastic, charming, and hilarious, mm -hmm. but at the same time uh, providing a, a an entertaining and engaging plot and mystery with some decent action scenes thrown in to boot with lots of different – Chevy Chase playing lots of different characters, a la mm -hmm. maybe a Peter Sellers type or, you know, um, maybe Jim Carrey we might associate with that sort of thing a little bit more. Yeah. Um, Funny thing, I don't really associate that kind of comedy with Chevy Chase. I think of Chevy Chase being, I think of him as, as um, Griswold, you know, the Griswolds from, you know, uh, yeah, National Lampoon's Vacation. Uh, Clark Griswold's his character's name, yes. right? Uh, or I think of him in Spies Like Us, a film I could have also gone to this week, by the way, John Landis directed. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think of him as, like, you know, putting on disguises and playing multiple characters. Um mm. That made me think again. It made me feel a lot more like a, a the Beverly Hills Cop that I, I talked about last week that these films, mm. the first one reminded me of. Um, where this film varies a little bit is obviously the character leaves Los Angeles. He receives an inheritance from his aunt in Louisiana, turns up in to find the mansion he's been left is a dilapidated wreck and that he's walked right into the middle of um, a number of competing interests who are very interested in owning his property for various reasons. He has a next-door neighbour who is uh, who has a Bible Land theme park um, owned by a TV uh, televangelist uh, of questionable character, um, played um, very, very well by Ali Ermay. Uh, if you don't know who that is, shame on you. Um, he, of course, famously played the drill sergeant in uh, Full yeah. Metal Jacket. And he was in a, a much underrated performance in a much underrated film, The Thrightness, Peter Jackson's uh, first Hollywood mm. film. If you haven't seen that, I recommend it also. He plays a televangelist. Yeah. Um, 
and um, he wants to buy Fletcher's land so he can expand the Bible Land theme park. Additionally, there are a number of other, well, at least one other shady figure who is trying to acquire the land from him for far more nefarious purposes. And Fletcher's kind of in the middle of this. Uh, the first night he's in uh, Louisiana, he sleeps with um, his lawyer and wakes up with her dead in the morning. And, of course, he's su su suspect number one. Mm -hmm. So there's a big bit of a whodunit and there's always different competing interests and he's trying to get to the bottom of it using his investigative skills and him playing different characters to try and um, get to the bottom and find out what's going on uh, and find out who killed his lawyer and clear his name. Um, yeah. Uh, the film has some problems, though. Okay. Uh, even for a film made in 1989, I don't know about the politics of his film, uh, particularly the racial politics of his film. Um, it turns out he's um, when he, he turns out to find his uh, dilapidated wreck of a mansion, he's um, being looked after. I guess you'd say there's a caretaker who worked with his aunt before she passed away by the name of Calculus. Uh, <laughs> that's his name. Played by Cleveland Cleavon Little, um, who I'm not overly familiar with, but he was in Blazing Saddles, which is yeah, uh, a film we talked about earlier. Um, and as a, he plays the character in a fairly stereotypical "Think Gone for Wind." Well, ah, yes, sir, Mister. You know, kind of, kind of level of character or way is his way he speaks, the way he acts. He's like he plays and you know somebody doesn't understand much and mm. you know um i think people understand what i'm talking about they probably understand yeah. the, the the trope mm -hmm. and the way chevy talks to him or, or way fletch talks to him and says the jokes he sort of bounces off you know the things that calculus says to him you're like oh i don't know about that oh no that makes me a little bit uncomfortable mm -hmm. and the the racial humor I'm surprised he could get away with it in 989. Freaking little now. Um, they do have a scene where Fletch dresses up as a member of a Ku Klux Klan. Um, however, he is taking the piss out of them in that scene. So maybe that's okay, I guess. But, but you know, I'm thinking of a film like Black Klansman, but like mm -hmm. it's a bit different because the character who was really taking the Mickey out of a clan in that one was African American. So mm -hmm. I will just say that I'm not in a position to make really a great judgment about that one. But like, if you all the way through, there's a uh, a song and dance routine at the start of a film when he understood, found out he's um, inherited the property, which is um, think again. I, I think it's actually based. And yeah, from and he walks along the road playing, uh, singing zippity doo dah. And um, fortunately, the slaves were white people. Okay. Um, again, I don't know. That's okay. So mm. you know, when you're really playing around with stereotypes when it comes to making jokes about slavery, as you know, a white person. It's it's a very very narrow path to make you getting away with it, I think, or being able to do it without being, you know, quite offensive. Um, but I, look, aside, once you sort of put, when you, you kind of a few times you were like gags happening, like, Ooh, I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know about that. Once you forget them, 
it's actually pretty good. I thought taking uh, taking uh, sticking the boots into televangelists and mm-hmm. psychics and that kind of thing. That's Always fair fun. game. Fair game. Yeah. Um, but the racial stuff was a little bit iffy at times. But um, I don't know why they didn't make more of it. Maybe this film wasn't terribly successful. I don't know. But this is um, a worthy sequel to a really funny yeah. movie. The first time I enjoyed both of them immensely, and I'm very excited now to see what John Hand does with her role. Yeah, it's we were talking about it last time. It's it's an interesting choice because John Ham certainly to date hasn't done anything that's like a oh yeah. Chevy Chase. Nope. <laughs> Very different person. Very different uh, well, I think it's noted that the, the the author who wrote the books, the characters based on wrote a number of books. Hmm. So this is a different Fletch, I guess. You know, you can have Different James Bonds, so maybe we can have different Fletchers. He's nowhere near as famous. Uh, so. No, Chevy Chase is white, so Fletch can only be white and uh. one particular type. I actually had a, a very interesting conversation with someone um, about the movie Black Adam coming out with starring um, Dwayne Rock. And he came in and he said, because it was after the, the second trailer released, he said, oh, it looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so, for, for a typical superhero movie. Yeah, it's the shame what they did with Hawkman. What did they do with Hawkman? Oh, it's a, they just they just cast a black guy. So? White in the comics. Yeah, it's a comic. He's not a real person, you realise. It's like, no, but, you know, he's based on... It's like, dude, in the comics, Hawkman has been everything and they've done hawk girl as well it's literally open to any interpretation he's just looked at me and said i don't know what you mean like it's made up you can do anything you like with that character ah yeah it's a shame though isn't it it's like no if he performs well that's all that matters yeah i yeah that's a weird thing to get hung up on but comic book fans are a uh strange breed sometimes i'm sorry if you are one but you know you've got to be honest your fellow comic book fans can be a bit picky yeah people get passionate about things and when passion gets kind of the driving force you run the risk of forgetting about logic and common sense and respect for the notion of debate rather than this is how it is I understand it. Like, I know I get passionate sometimes in the show, like sticking the boots into something. Or, I mean, like the, the travesty that was Ghostbusters 2016 and, you know, <laughs> uh, or, you know, World War Z was something I always used to get hung up on, you know, a few times, like, because I was passionate about the book and I loved the book so much that I wanted to see it done well. But yeah, I think, I think that's maybe a, a different argument here. But like, where I, I know what happens to me sometimes, but I went army with the, um, Army of the Dead was it the the one that the Zack Snyder film that came out last year, the, the, yeah. the, and it was trash. And like the amount of people I bumped into, and said, oh, it was really good. I really liked it. And you're like, how? It was awful. Like, what's wrong with you? It's terrible. But it and, had a zombie tiger, Travis. I, I, I sometimes I just I do. So I I will put my hand up and say I am guilty of that sometimes. And since I get a little passionate about, I get like, no. It was objectively awful, and you are wrong for liking it. And I'm like, I shouldn't do that, but it's like you know. But I, I try not to. I think it's maybe a little bit different than getting hung up on the identity of a particular character. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know. I always tell the story when I remember when I read that Heath Ledger was going to play the Joker. Mm-hmm. I'm going. 
the guy from the gay cowboy movie, the guy, the, the guy from the chicken TV commercial in Australia. What? What? What the fuck? That's a terrible idea. And, you know, I was proven not only wrong, I was proven disgustingly wrong on that one that he played a remarkable character in that film and he was a remarkable actor. But so, you know, sometimes you just got to go, okay, let's, I mean, do Joaquin Phoenix seem like an obvious choice for the Joker? I mean, probably not. Like, um, but he was fucking incredible. So sometimes you got to go, I don't know about that casting decision, but I'll go with it. Like, I, I always remember the quote from... Um, Tim Burton about making Batman, the 89 Batman. He said, you know, when the news came out that I cast Michael Keaton as Batman, the, the internet, it, it broke the internet before the internet existed. Yeah. Um, I, I am at paraphrasing. He said something like that. And, you know, and then you look at how, you know, acclaimed Michael Keaton's performance as Batman was. It was the iconic, it was, he was the Batman until, until Christian Bale at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, if you're one of those people, have a, have a think about, you know, being a little bit more open-minded about what can be done with fictional characters. Just just, just a little, just just a touch. Now, as we were talking a little bit about uh, superheroes at the end, I just want to give some early thoughts on the last thing that I watched this week. I didn't get a chance to watch Nope yet. I'm hoping that I can do that this week. Um, but I did start watching about half of the Prime Video New movie starring Sylvester Stallone, Samaritan. This just came out very quietly, didn't it? Yeah, it did for a reason. It's very mediocre so far. Uh, well, that's consistent with most of the stuff he does these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. But, but I did love him as, as a shark. I mean, anything non-James Gunn related he does these days. <laughs> true. So what is Samaritan? A young boy learns that a superhero who was thought to have gone missing slash dead after an epic battle 20 years ago may in fact still be around. And so far, it's interesting. I have a feeling I know how it's going to actually twist around and turn, but I'm not entirely sure. And if they do do what I want them to do or what I think they're going to do, It'll actually be quite interesting and quite different. But the fact that it is sitting on a 5.8 or a meta score of 45, I don't think they're going to do what I would like them to do. Um, it's got a bunch of people who's like, oh, I recognize that person. Obviously, Sylvester Stone, Javon Wanna Walton. Um, I only know him because he was in the Umbrella Academy as the character Stan. Um, Pilo Azbake, whose face I recognize. Um, oh, yeah, he played Bateau in the entirely socially fine uh, live-action version of Ghost in the Shell. Um, he also played Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. So the theory that you've had for many years now of, I don't know who that person is, were they in Game of Thrones? It fits. It continues. It continues, yes. Um, otherwise, most of the people in it, I do not recognize their names. I don't really recognize their faces. But they all seem to do the job that they're supposed to do. Um uh, this uh, Javon Wanna Walton, 
is your quintessential young, annoying, mildly punky kid that seems to be a virus on all areas. Wherever there's a superhero, there's going to be one of these kids. Um, it's interesting. I'll finish watching it. It's, I've paid for it already, so might as well. The director is the director of Overlord, the World War II horror film, which was oh, all, yeah. all right. Yeah. And it is written by the guy who wrote the uh, Nicolas Cage film Season of a Witch, which was pretty, 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 pretty bad. So yeah. isn't a great pedigree. Hey, but you're forgetting that they also wrote Ninjago. I don't even know what the fuck that is. It's Lego-based, though, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> I'm too old for that. Someone had to explain Roblox to me recently. I bet you still didn't understand it, right? I think I get it. It's kind of like Minecraft, but like a video game, but it's like... Um, they have concerts and stuff in it. Yeah, no, I've read it. Like People are yeah. like virtual pop stars in it that are like... We're old. Very famous, but yeah, I am old, but... I try hard. <laughs> I try to understand it, but you know, I, I, yeah, maybe you need to see it. But yeah, um, just to finish up, it looks okay. It is mildly interesting. The fact that it's not based on a Marvel or DC Comics character is mildly refreshing for a superhero movie. Um, it's not, uh, certainly not at this stage, it's not as alternative as you would get if james gunn decided to go and make super two or something like that um it's not anywhere near in that kind of ballpark of anything it's trying i think it's trying to tell more social stuff and so far i think it's actually doing a better job of that social commentary than what they were mildly trying to do in falcon and winter soldier series but they just generally went, oh, you know what? No, we, the, the, the flag smashers have actually got too many poignant ideas and they're <laughs> supposed to be the bad guys. <laughs> you kind of want to put in that that meme from um, the, the, the Disney, what was it, the Hercules movie for the angel and the demon on two soldiers with the, the, the angels going, no, no, he's got a point. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's, that's it entirely. Um, so I... I have hope for this one that it'll come out okay at the very least and it doesn't just flub up at the end. But I'll tell everyone next week. Sometimes you're lucky. It just makes me kind of looks like a little bit reminds me of um remember Brightburn? Yeah. And it just looks so promising. It had such an interesting trailer, an interesting premise. And when you saw it and you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. I remember I kept on accidentally calling it Breitbart. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, I can say they're both horrible things that we yes, really, they really are. <laughs> really, really wish they hadn't been imposed on society, but mm-hmm. um, at least Brightburn didn't start any riots. Um, <laughs> it probably should have because it had such a cool idea mm-hmm. and it was done so badly in the end. But it just kind of reminds me of that kind of thing. It's like where something looks cool, some cool ideas, and then it's just executed really badly. Yeah, they're, they're the kind of movies that you kind of look at the trailer for and go, okay, cool. That should have just stayed a trailer. <laughs> or maybe in Bright Burns' point, it should have been handballed over to the talented gun brother. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, another film from 2019. I think is that our show? That's our show. Yeah. It's, it's a, a sprightly 90 minutes. Yeah, sprightly 90 minutes. We have actually done what we always complain about. We've made it shorter. <laughs> well, it's easier when I don't have uh, when we uh, kind of cut out the cut, cut half the, the content. Uh, half <laughs> content. Yes. Um, <laughs> but we'll be back, and we'll be longer than ever next week. <laughs> Make up for it, ladies and gentlemen. But, yeah, that is our show for this week, episode 157. Thank you all so much for joining along. Thank you for continuing to support the show as a podcast forum. We are very successful white noise, I think. Um, Strangely, that seems somewhat inappropriate to say now, white noise. Because of the word white or? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, if you if you need something to keep you awake while you're driving late at night, you know, yeah. we're your guys. Yes, we we are your guys. <laughs> but thank you so much. We were talking about this week's chain movie, Clue. Travis has picked our next link in the chain, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hurrah! It's me. I really don't. I show him nothing but love, and this is what he does to me. <laughs> we talked about the rings of power episode one um as well as i talked about episode three of she hulk travis talked about the new episodes of rick and morty and then he talked about fletcher live uh, fletch lives and i just had a little bit of a thought on the samaritan next week it is rocky horror picture show hopefully i'll uh, finally get around to actually watching nope as well as a bit more thoughts on Lord of the Rings. Maybe She-Hulk. I'll find out. Um, and no doubt, more content to come. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you and good night. Good night.